Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Before we dive in, I want to thank many of our listeners who have left reviews. This one comes from Ada E77. He or she or they says, Inspiration is here. If you or someone you love has had cancer, this is the podcast for you. Very uplifting. Ada E77, thank you so much for that five star review. Tim McDonald is a force of nature who always helps anyone he can. He is generous, kind, compassionate, and a brave soul who cares deeply about humanity and builds community wherever he goes. Tim is the former director of community at Huffington Post, founder of My Community Manager, and the director of communications at Social Media Club Chicago. Tim, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story. Well, thank you for having me, Andrea. I'm so excited to be here and get the chance to talk with you. Yes. So please take us back to the beginning. Where did your cancer journey begin? Well, it was in 2020, um, Thanksgiving. I started having a pain in my uh, right flank, as they call it. Um, And it got- Okay. I got to tell you. So sorry. I have right flank pain and I call him Walt. Walter, so, so, <laughs> so I'm already in. I'm like, okay, right flank play. What is it? Okay, all right. Anyway, all right. Sorry, keep going. Keep no, going. so um, no problem. So, um, but it got progressively worse um, to the point where I kept telling my wife, I'm just going to go on Monday. I'm going to go on Monday. I'm going to go on Monday. And I woke up Sunday and it was even worse. And I just said, I'm going to walk over to the urgent care center today. I went over, it's right in our neighborhood, so I could walk over. Um, and they didn't know exactly what was wrong with me, but maybe kind of thought it could have been a kidney stone or something, but they wanted to find out. And the only way to do that was to get a CT scan. Right. So they ordered one. I went in on Monday, got my CT scan Monday morning. Then they were very insistent at the CT place that they could not give me any results. I'd have to call the ordering physician which was urgent care. And they would get in touch with me as soon as they got the results, they would have them within a few hours, but depending on how busy they were, I might not hear until later in the day, blah, blah, blah. I got a call from the urgent care asking me if I could come over. Um, I remember joking with my wife on my way out the door saying, well, I guess it's not a simple kidney stone because they were telling me if it was that, you know, I might be able to take some type of prescription for that <laughs> um, if it wasn't too bad. And I said, I guess I'm not getting a prescription. Otherwise, they wouldn't have called me in. And so I walked So over. they wouldn't tell you over the phone? No, they wouldn't tell me over the phone. Wow. But I knew something was up when yeah. I walked in and they said, oh, you're Tim McDonald. And I said, yes. And, you know, every doctor, every hospital you go to, you always need to fill in the registration and everything. This was right to the back right in a room and the doctor came in with a piece of paper like within 30 seconds. Oh yeah, the quicker they move, the scarier it is. Yeah, and said three words, you have cancer. And I said, okay, what does this mean? 
and he started explaining it, you know, that I had a pretty severe blockage in my colon, um, that it metastasized to my liver and I needed to get, and I said, well, what do I need to do? You know, what's the next step? And he right. kind of knew me because he's the only person I've seen in the last like five years, maybe once a year, you know, for like a, if I thought I had the flu or if I, you know, thought I might've broken my foot or something like that. He, he was like almost my primary doctor, even though he was the urgent care guy. And he just looked at me and said, you know, first thing you need to do is get a colonoscopy because that blockage is pretty severe and you need to probably get a stent. And I said, okay, do you have somebody that you could recommend that would do this? And he goes, you know, I used to be working in the ER and I know a guy who would do this. Are you willing to drive to St. Pete? I lived in Tampa. I said, yeah, no problem. Um, and then I got uh, my colonoscopy scheduled for, this is in the height of COVID. So, you know, my wife wasn't allowed in to hear, you know, with the GI doctor. Um, she was bawling anyway, because, you know, hearing you have cancer is not like something that you want to hear for your spouse. And so I was just like, you know, well, let's get it done. And he goes, okay, we can do it in three days. So I went in on Monday for, got the results, uh, got the CT scan, got the results, went for that appointment, got the thing scheduled for Thursday, had to get my COVID test on like Tuesday or Wednesday before I had to do the prep before went in, uh, got my colonoscopy. They put the stent in and, um, I just was wondering like why all the nurses and the doctor were just like so compassionate for me because I was just like, okay, I'm not feeling well, but I'm going to beat this thing. And they're all like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. You know, you got a great attitude, hang in there, do what you can, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, what, what is all this mean? And that's kind of how I learned about it. And, um, I went to did, an oncologist. Did he ever say stage four? Because you were stage four. You were well, yeah, they told me what stage four and I, I didn't know this at the time, but now I, it's common for me. And I always try and help people that aren't familiar with cancer that stage four means that it is metastasized and metastasized means that it goes from where it originated to another organ or part right. of your body. And so I not had good. Not, not good, not good, <laughs> not good. And colon cancer is very treatable if it's caught early, but when it spreads to your liver, since your liver filters out everything and goes into your bloodstream, it is not good. <laughs> and so no. well, I, I want to back up for a second because yeah. you're, uh, GI surgeon said you had, or, or your original doctor said just from that scan, he could see you had a tremendous blockage. Did you not feel that in your body? No. Um, really? I mean, you know, when I went in and they asked me all the questions, like, you know, have you had weight, loss, significant weight loss? And I'm like, well, yes, but I changed my diet a few months ago and was eating like whole grains and fruits and vegetables. And I thought it was all from that, you know? Um, have your bowel movements been normal? And I'm like, please explain to me what normal is. Right. Please define normal. My entire life has been, I've seen the whole spectrum of everything. Now I know that was not true because I've seen a whole new spectrum that I didn't know existed before. <laughs> um, but, um, but back then it was like, you know, yeah, there was a little blood. Maybe it was because I had spicy foods or something. Um, it was, it was constipated. It was hard, you know, it was narrow. It was, you know, I mean, I, I mean, my wife and I always joke, we, you know, we've been together for 17 years now and we always joke that, you know, for the first three years, we didn't even see each other go to the bathroom. And now all <laughs> the 
life. <laughs> so right. Oh gosh. Okay. So, so it really wasn't anything that I, you know, that I. I mean, looking back on it, you know, obviously you can now knowing that I had cancer, I could look back and say, okay, yes, I was experiencing some chills. You know, I was getting some night sweats. I did lose that weight, even though I thought it was from the diet. Um, I did have some just unexplained kind of not like fatigue, you know, that I wasn't feeling great and, but it wasn't like a cold, it wasn't anything else. And so it just more like body aches and all these things were from the cancer, but I didn't right. realize at the time. Well, the night sweats, you couldn't have thought that was normal because you're, you're not a menopausal woman. So. No, but you... I was getting older and I'm like, you know, who knows what's going on with my body. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now that's what I try and advocate and let people know if, you know, like, all these things, these little things that I saw, you know, were potential symptoms. If you experience them, don't wait, go get it checked out. Right. The first thing they can tell you is everything's fine, you know? <laughs> right. So, so you now, you know, it's stage four. Uh, what did they find the colonoscopy? Were they able to at least clear up the blockage? What, what were the um, yeah, results well, of he that? He put the stent in, said, I, he told my wife, because I was still out of it and, you know, before um, when he was talking to my wife and said that if I didn't have this procedure done today, um, probably within several weeks, it would have been completely blocked and I probably mm -hmm. would, it probably would have killed me. Um, and that's how, how bad it was. Um, so that's kind of, you know, but the stent was there. And then the one thing that they didn't tell me was when you get a stent, you're supposed to take stool softener. So I was going to the bathroom, like, you know, feeling like I needed to go every like hour and it was just like nothing would come out and I'd be pushing and pushing and, you know, it would, you know, it would just be painful. And I mean, I literally called pulling cancers a pain in the ass. <laughs> <laughs> but they didn't tell you to take stool softeners? Like, no. What did they just assume you knew? I mean, I guess, I don't know. I mean, I, I just, I'm like, so I, I mean, I actually went to the ER because I had bleeding. And I'm oh, like, geez. what is going on? Oh, you know, no. because I was pushing so hard. Right. And they were like, you know, it's nothing. You're fine. You know, and then they're like, just make sure you take stools. And I'm like, am I supposed to take stool softener? And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, just okay. So, so did it, it get better after that? Um, well, I will say it got a little bit better um, after I had chemo for the first time. Um, so and, talk about that. What was the treatment plan since it had um, metastasized? I, okay, well, I'm going to preface this by saying I saw one oncologist gave me one round of chemo. I saw another oncologist that gave me second and third round of chemo. And then I got into a cancer center here in Tampa that I have been seeing ever since. So the first oncologist that I saw um, put me on um, full Fox mm. and... Um, actually had told me, and, and my wife was allowed into his office. So we, he was very good. He was very thoughtful, answered all of our questions, did everything. But there's two things I, I remember him telling me was that, um, you know, well, one, and this is so important is every step along your way, if you are feeling not comfortable with what you're hearing from the doctor, go get a second, third, fourth. Yes. Yes. Okay. I already love him. And, and I was just like, okay, thank you. And he goes, even with me, you know, I right. want you to go talk to somebody else. And so, um, 
And the other thing that he he told me was that, um, you know, this he was going to put me on 12 rounds of it. And it had like I forget the exact numbers. It was somewhere like 25 to 40 percent chance of success. And as he was telling me that he was saying, I said, well, what about the stent that I had put in? And he goes, well, what will happen is if the chemo works and it reduces the tumor, um, we can eventually end up taking that out. Okay. Or you might end up passing it, which is not pleasant. And after one round of chemo, I passed the stent. And so when you're, this is why I'm telling you this, because when you asked when things got a little bit better, it was after I passed that step. I was in the bathroom for 40 minutes. My wife had actually came in and said, are you okay? <laughs> and I'm like, yes. You passed the stent? After one round of chemo, yes. Like that, whatever plastic or it's whatever. Like, it's like um, <gasps> about five to six inches long and maybe like about uh, three quarters of an inch wide. Okay. I want to say holy shit, but then that's like too spot on. It's too much of a pun. And also we're supposed to be a clean podcast. So, um, but oh man, but it, I guess at least he did warn you that that could happen. It, well, and nobody prepared me that this would happen after one round of chemo. But the positive thing of all this is I said, this is the way my mind thinks, if my tumor shrunk enough to let that pass, this right. is good. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So That's true. like my first CT scan that I had after my chemo treatments, I felt like so comfortable. I didn't have scanxiety at all because I knew that this shit was working, right? <laughs> <I knew. laughs> right. Okay. So what, yeah. So what happened after the first scan? So, well, um, let me, cause I went, I did my chemo. Right. I did this. He, he told me everything was, that was fine. It was great. That is a positive thing, you know, blah, blah, blah. And then we, met with him and he goes, I got to ask you a question. You live up in Tampa. Why are you driving all the way to St. Pete to see me? Oh yeah. And I said, well, because I told him the story of how I got connected and you know, all the referrals. What's, what's the drive just so people have a reference? It was about 45 minutes. So okay, I know for some people that live in rural areas, 45 minutes is nothing because they need to but drive like an hour. 45 minutes hours, in the city is. You know? But for 45 minutes every two weeks for, you know, and then the disconnect and everything for the pumps. And it was just like, he goes, you know, I can get you somebody in the same, you know, daycare is what they call it here in Tampa, you know, healthcare system. And I can get you somebody that's like 10 minutes away from your house. And I said, oh, nice. I said, that would be great. So I went and saw her. They did not let Lori in the office. And I am so glad about that because what she told me is, I don't know why he had you on um, full Fox because that can cause neuropathy and you basically have three years to live. And I want to make your life as comfortable as possible for those three years. And so I'm going to put you on full fury. And I just walked out of there and Lori was in the waiting room and I waited until we were down the hall and in the elevator so that she didn't run back in and strangle the doctor. But I said, she goes, how did it go? And I said, well, fine, they're going to change my chemo to this. And she told me I had like three years to live. And she started bawling Hmm. and I was just like, listen, that's her story. It's not my story. Right. And I got home. I called my original oncologist and said, okay, I got a couple questions for you. I said, she told me I had three years to live. And he goes, well, I don't like using numbers. And he goes, 
because I've been wrong so many times earlier in my career. He goes, but I'm going to tell you this because you're asking me. He goes, the normal range for all age groups of people that have your condition is three to five years. He goes, now you're young, you're overall healthy outside of the cancer. I don't think that it's realistic for you to think you're going to die on the earlier side of that. I would think it's going to be on the later side and maybe even a little bit longer. Now, if you're going to ask me, is it realistic to live for 10 years? No. But wow. do I think you're going to live for at least five? I would say yes. And so I said, okay. And then I um, explained about the, you know, the chemo that you changed me. And he goes, listen, if you ask any oncologist, these are the two that people use. They both have similar success rates. I chose this because I think it had a little bit more aggressive, you know, rate for you and that we would only do this originally. And then I would have switched you over to the other one anyway, because once you okay. start with neuropathy, you don't want to be on that one. I right. said, okay, I understand that. And then I asked about the success rate because I said, well, success, if it, that means all the cancer are going to be gone. And he goes, oh, no. Oh, no. 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 Success means that we don't see growth. We don't see it spreading. Um, and we kind of keep it, maintain it where it's at. Yeah. Status and I'm quo. like, what the hell is that? Success. Yeah. Progression-free okay. survival is what they you call it. You guys need a different word for that. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, um, so he was really nice. He answered all my questions. But I only went for to that oncologist for one more infusion round. And then I got into Moffitt Cancer Center here in Tampa. Nice. And when I met with them, I told them my experiences, what I was on. They looked at all my my reports and everything and said, you know, listen, you, and he again told me what my first oncologist said, you're fairly young, you're overall healthy. Um, I have a combination of the full Fox and the full Fury that we combine together. So it's full Fox Fury. Okay. It's very aggressive, but the side effects are much more aggressive. And he goes, if you're interested, we can start you on that. And I just looked at my wife and said, let's do it. And so we did that. That's when I got my first scan at Moffitt. And that's when I got the result. It was like a month after this. So altogether, I'd been in like two months of treatment and I got the, the results. And it was, I think some of my tumors in my liver had reduced by 50%. Wow. Okay, that's huge. Two to three weeks or yeah. months. And so it was amazing. And um, I was so happy about it, but I knew that this was just like one step and I had a lot more to go. And I got to tell you, when he was saying that that chemo cocktail really had aggressive side effects, it does. And anybody that's been on it, I can feel for you. I know it affects everybody a little bit differently, but cumulatively over the six months that I was on that, um, I was, I remember the last couple of times I was getting it. I was just telling my wife, I just don't know how much longer I can do this. Mm. Um, but then I started getting neuropathy in my toes and my oncologist had told me, if you start feeling any numbness in your fingers or your toes, let me know right away. And we're going to, we're going to remove the, uh, the full Fox from there. And so now I'm just on full fury and that's what I've been on. So that's kind of, um, you know, but I've seen good results every step of the way, every scan I've done. How many months have you been in chemotherapy now? How many times? How many months? Oh, months. It's been, I started in December of 2020 and we're wow. in June of 2022. So, so 18 months. Almost 18 months. Yeah. 18, well, 18. Yeah, I guess it is 18 months, right? <laughs> yeah. So 
What other side effects did you experience? Um, it was just some really major fatigue. Um, there was a lot of bathroom issues from constipation to diarrhea and then back and forth between the two to the point where, and this is again, why I still call colon cancer a pain in the ass. Um, it was causing internal hemorrhoids. It was causing, causing fissures. Here's another lesson I learned that I try to tell everybody. Your oncologist is great at cancer. They are not proctologists. They do That's not right. look and tell you why you have hemorrhoids, how to help, whether you have fissures or not. They just care about your blood levels, your your organ functions, and how your how your chemo or how like your body's responding to the chemo. They don't treat any of the other stuff. So I yeah. had actually go out and find a proctologist that I could go see. And as soon as I went in, told him what was going on, he goes, oh yeah, you probably have hemorrhoids and, and fissures. And he was just like, um, you know, here's this cream. I gave you some injections, uh, come back in two weeks. We'll give you another injection and see how you're doing. And I did that and it worked and he goes, okay, you're good to go. And if it happens again, just come back. And as soon as I started getting those pains again, I mean, cause it was painful to the point where like, I couldn't sit down comfortably. Like I couldn't lay down, I couldn't sit down, I couldn't stand, it was just so uncomfortable. So that was like, you know, all those things were stemming from the chemo. Um, but then the, like this fatigue that I'm talking about just isn't a, a sense of being tired. It's like your whole body kind of just like aches and, you know, just doesn't feel well. And you're not sick, but you're not healthy. You know, I call it my energy level, you know? so. Normally my energy level is like up close to a hundred. I would say it was probably down in like the 30 to 40% range. So very low. Um, those I'm were still like, experiencing that fatigue. I still get it. Even though I'm just on the full fury now, I still get that. It's just not as much and it's not as long. It doesn't okay. last for as long. Um, so I'm, you know, that's the other thing over 18 months, I've kind of learned like how to handle certain things. And I was off for two months of a, of a break. So I actually wasn't on chemo for 18. I've been on it for 16 or 16 months, I guess, but because I had a, um, colon resection, but when oh, I, how did that go? Well, it went great because I didn't have any more cancer. They biopsied it and it, there's no more cancer in my colon. So, um, so, so is there still cancer in your liver? Oh yeah. There's still, I, I said that my, my liver, when they did their initial PET scan, when I was first diagnosed, um, and, and for those that don't know, PET scan kind of illuminates the areas that are active cancer. Right. It's nuclear body. imaging. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, CT scan is more just like, it doesn't really show you what's in your colon, unless if it's a mass that's attached to your wall because it measures the wall thickness, but it doesn't actually measure anything in your colon, but it can kind of show you the size of the lesions or tumors on your liver. And so this PET scan, the first one I got, like my liver was lit up like the, the 4th of July night sky with fireworks going off. It was like yeah. completely illuminated. I got one after, like a year um, to try and see because I, I'm looking to get a liver, a living donor liver transplant now. So my surgeon that wants to, you know, make me a candidate for this, I needed to get the PET scan done to make sure that there was no cancer anywhere else. Um, and when I got that done, my liver now is all like my PA that I see at Moffitt showed me the results and said, I am almost at a loss for words because it's like all diffused now. 
there's no bright spots on your liver. And so it doesn't mean that you don't have cancer. I'm not, don't get, you know, don't get me wrong, but right. it's like compared to where you were a year ago to today, it's almost unbelievable, like how far you've come. And I just was like, so this is great, but I got that PET scan done. Um, one of my CT scans showed a lymph node in my, you know, in my collarbone area that was enlarged. And so the transplant uh, tumor board wanted to have that checked out. So I need to have a biopsy done on that. Um, and then I needed to get uh, the colon resection to re remove the primary tumor. But before I could get that, I needed to have another colonoscopy so they could mark where the tumor was. When they did the colonoscopy, they removed one polyp and there was only scar tissue remaining. So they marked where the scar tissue was. And then um, they did the, the colon resection and he said, it, it was unbelievable. I didn't see anything in, you know, cause they actually looked around. He talked with my transplant surgeon. And in addition to the PET scan, he actually did a physical inspection of my abdomen, all the other organs around, oh, make sure there was no suspicious spots and removed that. I recovered from it very well. And they did a biopsy and I got the results. And he was like, there's absolutely no signs of cancer in the biopsy that we did. And so now I am, uh, full candidate for a liver transplant, because to get a liver transplant, you have to be on chemo with positive response for a year. You have to have no other cancer outside of your liver, um, which why I needed the biopsy, why I needed the colon resection and everything else, um, and the PET scan to make sure. Um, and so that's kind of where I'm at now. But I can tell you that when I restarted on Full Fury after my pause for two months, the side effects were a lot more intense than they were before. And so it's oh, like the yeah. one thing that I learned about this is no matter what you get used to, it's always changing because your body changes. You're, I think your body has resistance to some of the chemo. And sometimes chemo, if you're not getting it for a while, has a different way of impacting you. So it's, and each one of us is unique and different. So just because I'm telling you what I went through doesn't mean that even if you have the same condition or going through the same type of treatments, you might have different side effects for me. And oh, just, yeah, I think you know, cancer makes us very adaptable. Oh, yeah, but it's, it's always all, changing. It just always changes. And so yeah. I'm just getting used to like, where I'm kind of settling in because I'm on my third, I'm going on my fourth round since my post resection. So I'm starting to get a little bit, it's not as intense as the first two rounds, but it's gradually getting a little bit better. Well, let's, okay. So let's put a little shout out for you. Uh, what's your blood type? Let's start with that. So my blood type is O positive. Um, and okay. Universal. A, yeah. Well, and to be a living donor for a liver, um, since I'm O positive, you can have any O blood type. It doesn't matter if you're O positive or O negative. And you can have an A blood type, but only certain strains of A blood type. So it's not I'm positive. A positive. Or no, no, I'm sorry. I'm A negative. So I'm yeah, not so it's A not, positive. It's not positive or negative. It's just there are certain strains of A blood that, that would be a match for me. Um, the big kicker is that you need to be between, because I'm 6'1", so you need to be between like 5'10 and 6'4". You need to have a body mass index of under 30. Um, you can't have any previous signs or conditions of cancer, heart disease, kidney disease, or diabetes. And you need to be in good physical and mental shape. And you have to be between the ages of 18 and 60. 
Okay, so I, I check all those boxes except for the height. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I think this is really interesting for people to know too, because the liver is the only organ besides skin, but I don't really count skin, but it's the only internal organ that can regrow, right? Yep. And and the whole idea of a, a living donor transplant is to take a small piece of the liver from a like what you just described, a very healthy person that has a similar body mass and size to you and then put that, replace your liver with this piece of a liver, but then it grows to your size. The other thing is that for most metastasized cancer patients, um, there's only 14 centers in the U.S. that actually perform liver transplants. Yeah. Uh, there's Live a lot donors. of liver transplants, but for metastasized right. cancer, there's 14 right. centers in the U.S. Um, and almost all of them do living donors only, which means that there's no list for me to get on because right. to get on a list for a liver, a, a cadaver liver is what they call them. Um, right. You basically need to have a MELD score of 30 or higher. My score would be about a six or a seven because I'm overall healthy, you know, outside right. of, of the cancer. So it's not that I have a diseased liver that's about to fail. It's that I have cancer that's in my liver that I need to replace. So we all, right. most of us all need to find our own donor. Um, so there's no list for me to get on. Um, so those are some of the most common questions. And I think the other thing about you talking about the liver regenerating, and when you say a little bit, I want to be honest, they'll probably take like 50 to 70% of your liver and give it to me. But both of us will have our livers regenerate to 100% full size within right. about 12 weeks. So yeah, that's pretty that's, amazing. Yeah, it's it's really amazing. So what have you done? And now I'm just I'm on this path. I'm not going to let the, let this go for just a second. So what have you done to find that living donor? Like you said, there's not really a list to get on. No. Well, so I've, what have you done? I've um, I created a website, just timsliver.com, that has all the information and the number to call and tries to answer as many questions as I know people have. Um, I do regular social media posts about it. Um, I have reached out and some people have just, some of my friends have just done this out of the goodness of their heart. They have email lists. Um, they do social media posts. They, um, you know, I mean, whatever it is, I mean, whatever they have that they know they have an audience for. I've been on podcast. I've been on, um, you know, interviewed by people. So the two things that I don't have are, that I've heard suggestions on are put it on a billboard, <laughs> but I do have a sign on my car. I have a sign that says, be a good, oh, that's awesome. and it's got my website on there. Oh, that's so, awesome. I love it. So I have that. And, um, the other thing is to get national or local media. Getting national media attention is really difficult. Yes. So starting locally is smart. It's crazy to me that you haven't gotten the local attention yet. That's, I, don't, I don't know what it is about the Tampa Bay area because I am an ambassador with Fight CRC, which is a nonprofit that is, you know, helps with colorectal cancer. And yeah. I, during March, during Colorectal Cancer Awareness Month, they pitched all the media on, hey, we have somebody here with a story. He's from your area. Crickets. Nobody picked up on it. And they said it's been that way for years. They have, have just had a difficult time cracking into the Tampa Bay area. What was your worst moment, Tim, so far? You're still in it, but what was your worst moment? Um, honestly, I think the worst moments were the first 
like couple weeks and couple months. Um, I think just trying to process everything and I have a pretty healthy mindset and attitude about everything. Um, I always try and look at, you know, when I got cancer, I, and I found out from the doctor, I actually said, I, I said, you know, okay, I'm not looking at this as why me, like why poor me? I'm looking at this as why not me? What is this a chance for me to be able to do? And it took me a couple of weeks to kind of figure that out. But I believe that from the time I heard those three words, you have cancer, to know that this meant that I was going to have an opportunity to do something. That's and amazing. becoming an advocate, sharing my story, you know, encouraging other people to get screened. These are all things that I've helped. And now going through getting this donor, a living donor for the liver, I've realized that this is like going to be my, my mission after this is we shouldn't all be doing this by ourselves. We should have kind of this list and this pool of people that everybody that's interested that wasn't a match for me might be for the next person that needs to go through this. And so that's what I wanna do afterwards. But those first couple of weeks was, were so tough, just me processing all that. But more importantly, it was because of how it impacted my wife. Mm. And she was like so devastated, so sad that she was gonna live you know, without me, something was going to happen and she'd be there and I wouldn't be. And all I took, kept telling her the whole time, but I can't change her. I can only try and help guide her. Of course, that's right. Is all I kept saying is just remember, and this is like, you got to remember, I didn't have a lot of energy at the time. So I was trying like my best to say this in a nice way, but it was all about, you know, listen, you know, every time that we take that you're sad about what's happening, is time that we can take from enjoying each other's time together. Yeah, that's that's right. That's and and now, I mean, you know, 18 months into this, she is a very different person. We still have moments where she gets a little upset and teary-eyed by some of the things I say and talk about, but I'm also a realist, you know. I know that I'm not going to live forever. I've known that since I was a little kid. Right. I just don't believe that cancer is going to be the thing that takes me. <laughs> Well, on that note, what has been your best moment? I think it's not a moment per se, but it's just kind of, I think, understanding that I am my best advocate. Yes. And, and really my only advocate. Um, and if I was always brought up to believe that doctors, lawyers, you know, educators were always experts and we needed to listen to what they said and do as we were told. And that second oncologist that I saw that told me I had three years to live, I remember, I mean, just in my mind, when she said those words, I didn't say it back to her, but in my mind, I said, that's your story, not mine. And that's exactly what I told my wife when I got into the hall. And yeah. I still believe that to this day, but that just showed me that this was not going to be my oncologist. I was going to go find somebody else. Right. And, and when I had all the issues with, you know, with my butt and, and I had to go out and find the proctologist, you know, and my team at Moffitt for as great as they are, they don't do solid organ transplants. So it was not an option for me to get that at Moffitt. Did that stop me from going out and finding who are the best people in our country that do these transplants? No, I went out and figured it out on my own and did the research and got in touch with them. And now I'm a candidate for it. And that's like, 
I think the most amazing thing, it wasn't like one moment, but it was the process of understanding just how powerful it is when we become our best advocate. Tim, what is one thing you wish you had known at the very beginning when you heard you have cancer? Just how much of a change it would make in your life. <laughs> I really didn't quite understand that. It was, you know, all my other experiences with doctors were you went in, you got treated, you got better, and you didn't have to go back to the doctor again. And this is like every two weeks, uh, you know, every month for my clinic visits, every, you know, three months for my scans. And then I have all these other doctors in between. It just, it's like a constant, you know, uh, process. And I think, I think the one thing that I was told very early on by somebody else that had colon cancer, and it was something that they were told by somebody that they knew when they learned they had cancer was you need to look at this as a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah. And just when you think you're done with the marathon, you're going to be asked to run another one. Yeah. And that yeah. never, it never stops. And so, you know, I think that just hearing that really helped me understand just how much of a, uh, this was changing my life in a way that I, I would never be able to understand until I went through it. Tim, if you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U S and you only get one, what would it be and why? I think that we have an opportunity to create a single payer, single, single provider healthcare system so that everybody in our country has access to equitable treatment. Okay. All right. Are you ready for the Thriver rapid fire? I am. Okay. Here we go. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? This is a tough one because my music teacher that I first had taught me appreciation through the Beatles music, but I think I was more of a Beach Boys person. <laughs> oh, me too. Me too. What is one word that best describes you? Giving. And before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Probably Celebrate. And the last meal you want to eat? That's a tough one. <laughs> Probably a nice, I know what I had because I just had it last night and I'm having it again tonight. It's a nice crab, lump crab cocktail, like big pieces of crab. <laughs> I love it. And the last person or people you want to see? My wife. And the last words you will speak? I love you. And aside from Cancer You, what's one resource you would recommend for cancer patients and caregivers? And I also want you to tell people how they can get in touch with you. <laughs> well, I'm pretty involved in the colorectal cancer world just because that's what I have. And so um, I am, I mean, I am, I'd mentioned earlier, I am an ambassador for Fight CRC, but I also think that they have a great amount of resources for anybody whether you're first diagnosed and want to understand what all the terminology is, um, whether you're a, you know, a survivor or patient or a caregiver or just a family member, but they also will help guide you all the way through um, the journey. And, you know, from the, the, the diagnosis stage to maybe the end of life stage, and they're always fighting to, you know, advance 
treatments and get providers involved. So it's like they're such a huge resource and I think such a valuable way when it comes to colorectal cancer. Um, awesome. And I am familiar with them as well. How can people get in touch with you if they want to find out more about what's going well, on? I am very easy to get in touch with. Uh, <laughs> so on social media, you can find me on Twitter. I'm T.A. McDonald. Um, on Instagram, I'm Tim A. McDonald. On LinkedIn, I'm Tim A. McDonald. And on Facebook, I'm just Tim McDonald. Um, you'll, I mean, literally, it's facebook.com forward slash Tim dot McDonald. Um, <laughs> and then I, I would say I am easy to get in touch with. You can email me. I'm Tim A. McDonald at gmail.com. And I'm even a, like a phone person. So if you want to call, if you want to text, WhatsApp me, whatever, it's 312-970-0846. And what about your website? I want to make sure people go to that as well. Oh, yeah. My website is just Tim's Liver. So T-I-M-S and then L-I-B-E-R.com. Perfect. Okay. So we will put a link to that in the workshop and the show notes. Tim, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story as you're living it right now. Thank you. It was my pleasure. And I'm sure we could keep talking for another hour if we wanted. <laughs> thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.